want to do something that's just a little different, begin the sermon. I say that all the time, and you're like, it's always different, whatever. Sometimes it's a story, sometimes it's not. But today, the emphasis of the sermon is somewhat practical. As we begin this sermon series, we're going through uh, a study on prayer this summer. Uh, and we've already talked about why we pray. We pray because we are helpless. We pray because God has given us his promises. We pray because God knows us. And last week we talked about how abiding in Christ is to shape our prayer life. As we abide in Christ, Jesus changes our desires so that we would pray and whatever we ask in his name he will give us. And what is that that we ask? It is to love like Christ. He changes our desires to love, and we ask for that in his name, and he gives us the power to love. And this week, we wanted to just spend prayer, time in prayer, praying, God, help me love others the way that you love them. And I wonder how that worked out in your life as you were involved in conflict, as you were at work, as you were having conversation with your spouse, with your kids, and different situations arise. I, I wonder if you, abiding in Christ, were calling out, God, help me love in this moment, and how the Spirit used that in your life. But today, I want, I want to kind of zero in on a personal practice that kind of has shaped my prayer life. And I, I hope that it'll be helpful to you, and I don't know how any, any way to introduce it, but this way. Um, this book right here, Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney, kind of captures what I do primarily in my prayer life. And he argues or articulates a practice of verse-by-verse verse praying, where you read a verse, and then you pray through that verse. You read another verse, that verse stirs in your heart, that verse applies to certain situations, and you pray that verse. And he calls us in this book uh, to work through this practice in the Psalms. And so this week, last week we were praying to love others. And this week I just want to challenge you. Uh, spend this week 15 to 30 minutes every day opening up the book of Psalms and praying through them verse by verse. Reading a verse and then praying through that verse. Reading another verse, allowing that to soak into your mind and heart and then praying through that verse. I think that would be very helpful to us. In the book, Donald Whitney, he tells us, he gives us very, a, lot, a lot of reasons why we should do this, but just some that I wanted to share with you as we begin today. First of all, reading through the Bible in this way helps us to pray more biblically faithful prayers. We're not just left to ourselves wondering what and how to pray. We allow God in his word to give us exactly what to pray. We'll pray more God-centered prayers. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible to point to Jesus. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible so that we would know God as Father. It is a God-centered story. And so we give our hearts and minds over to the scriptures to work through it in our prayers and our hearts and our minds are centered on God and then our prayers become God-centered. And we're not talking about eloquent language. We're just talking about we are focused. We are set on God in His glory as we pray. And then 
One reason he gives is you'll enjoy a more focus in prayer. If you're like me, you start praying for something and then you begin to remember everything you're supposed to do for the day. Then you, you, you have notifications on your phone. Someone comes in, interrupts you. You begin thinking about this. Where are we going to lunch? What are we going to do? And yet, if you are in your Bible, and I would encourage getting away from all devices, all people, and just having a Bible in doing this, like a real Bible, not the one on your phone, paper, that, that kind of Bible, and just reading through it and praying. And it helps you remain focused. And I, what happens in my own life is God stirs up my affections for the Word of God, and that is where my focus is. And then I think another point he makes that I think is important for us to remember when we think about prayer is he says, you will find that prayer becomes more like a real conversation with a real person. And that is what prayer is. It is a conversation with God. He has spoken in his word, and we are to speak back in prayer. That is what prayer is. We're not coming before God trying to earn something with our prayer. We are responding to what he has said to us. And I think using the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, section by section, however you have to do it, cultivates that understanding of prayer in our life. It is a conversation with a real person who is God. Who has spoken to us. So I want to commend that to you today. And I didn't have, know how else to do it, but just to say that at the beginning of the sermon. This, this is a practice that has shaped my prayer life and has allowed me to be a better prayer. And as I said in the beginning of this series, I'm not good at praying. <laughs> I, I, I get distracted. I want to do, I want to get up and fix things. Some of the things that I'm praying about I get, I get so tore up about it, I have to get up and then instead of allowing God to answer my prayer, I'm like, no, I've got to go fix this. I've got to make a phone call. I've got to do these things. I'm not good at praying and yet being latched and surrendered and harnessed by the word of God helps me to just stay there and pray. And so I want to commend that to you. But why this week, as I've said, would we use the Psalms to begin this practice? Well, first of all, the Psalms were Israel's songbook. And it's interesting that God gave us the Psalms. He gave us inspired words that we are to sing back to him. His very words that he gave his people were meant to sing back to him. It can also be used, as we're talking about, as a prayer book. When you pray through the Psalms, you are praying in God's language. You are praying back to Him the very words that He has given to you. And so we think about, how can my prayers be accepted? How would God hear my prayers? Will we use His very words in our prayer that He has inspired? And the Psalms help us do that. And today we're going to work through Psalm 19 and make observations about why our prayer life should be in the Word. And this Psalm, Psalm 19, that we just read through together, it is a powerful song that delights in the sufficiency of Scripture. As we'll see, God has revealed Himself in creation, but that's not enough. God has revealed Himself in His Word. That's what we need 
to know God. But then when we get to the end, we see that this psalm ends with a prayer. And so it is a model of what our prayer life should be. We meditate on the glory of God, even in creation, his power, his glory, his authority. And then we meditate on the sufficient word of God in our prayer life. And our hearts are stirred to do what? Pray. That's what Psalm 19 models for us. But let's work through it together. And the first thing we see here is we must pray the scriptures because we need the scriptures to know God. Notice verse 1 of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. Here David stares at the sky in front of him, the clouds, the sun, and at night, the moon and the stars. And he says this canvas before him of creation is saying something to him. Creation is, notice the word declaring, it is making known something. It is, a pre, it is preaching a sermon to us loud and clear of what? The glory of God. And he says here, the sky proclaims his handiwork. The sky, what we see before us in the heavens is, is declaring something amazing about God. God who has created everything, how how glorious his work is before us in this vast expanse of sky. Now, David uses the heavens here because the heavens are visible to everyone. And and so the sky before us, clouds, sun, moon, stars, everyone sees it. And so in the sky, God is declaring something to every human who lives under the sky. And what is he declaring? His glory. How marvelous he is in creating. And notice verse 2, he says, day to day, the heavens pour out speech. And the word here for pour out is gushing. The, the, The heavens are rushing, declaring to us something. And night to night, Even the stars and moon, they reveal knowledge. They reveal understanding to us. Verse 3, where there is no speech, there is no words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And in them he has set a tent for the sun. So he begins to, to point to the things in the sky. And he says, you go out and you don't, you don't hear Audibly, you don't hear words. But every person in their own language looks up to the sky and in seeing, they hear something. And what is it? He says here, understanding. Knowledge is being displayed for us. Knowledge of what? Or knowledge of who? Notice he continues verse 5 which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And he's talking about the sun here, like a strong man that runs its course with joy. And he says at night, something is being said in the sky. And then during the day with the sun, something glorious is being said to us. Every morning, the sun comes up like a groom on his wedding day, excited. And then throughout the day, the sun runs its course and sets like a runner who is finishing its race. 
this glorious order, day after day after day after day, time is set by the sun, day after day after day after day, this is going on. And so this is a constant declaration to us of God's glory. A constant revelation to us that there is someone behind the something that has created this amazing reality before us that we live under day after day after day. He says, verse 6, its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Even the presence of the sun with its heat is calling us to understand that there is someone who is there. There is someone who has created this. This galactic ball of fire as it moves throughout the day or as we move around it throughout the day. If we were just a tad bit closer, we would explode. Is declaring something to us. That there is someone behind the something that we see. This week I was just reading through the different stats about the sun, information about the sun. And even as I was reading through this, I was thinking, there is no way this is true. That the sun is 109 times larger than the earth. This massive ball of fire that is full of explosions all the time. The sun is one point, you could fit 1.3 million earths Inside the sun. And the sun weighs 333,000 pounds more than the sun. Now, when I read that, the way that I read those things is who in the world weighed the sun? Who measured the sun? What kind of tape measure does that take? It's amazing reality before us. And it is a constant declaration to us that there is something glorious out there, that there's someone glorious out there. The sun, as it moves through the Milky Way, moves 0.5 million miles an hour, dragging our planet with it. Now, what David is saying here is the same thing Paul says in Romans 1. When you get up in the morning, you walk out and you see the sun, you have no excuse but to know there is a God who is there. This didn't come from nothing. And no creature could create something like the sun. There's someone behind it who has created it and given order to this planet. And our hearts are to cry out and groan for him, as Paul says in Acts chapter 17. But as glorious as the sun is, I mean, I was thinking this week, just in seeing the sun, we should all get on our face. Because if the sun is so massive and so awe-inspiring, what must the God who created it be like? We should get on our face and acknowledge the glory of our creator before the sun. But the reality is, because of sin in our hearts, that's not what we do. Paul says, though, in Romans 1, while we are without excuse, what we do in our hearts, 
is we suppress the truth because we don't want to submit to our Creator. And then we begin to make up who God is in our own mind. And we begin to relate to Him the way that we would relate to Him according to our own hearts. And this is why we need the Word of God in our prayer life. Because without the Word of God, you don't know God. Without the Word of God, you don't know the God who has revealed Himself in the Bible as this glorious trinity. You can't know that unless God reveals that to you, and He's specifically done so in the Bible, which is about Jesus. The galactic ball of fire is not enough so that you would know God accurately. Without our Bibles, we end up praying to the sun, moon, stars, earth, making little idols up that we bow down and pray to in our own image. We make God up, and we walk around talking about good vibes, thoughts, prayers, no We have no clue where these good vibes, thoughts, and prayers are going. They just kind of make us feel better about life. But the Bible has revealed a specific person to us that we pray to. And ultimately, we pray through Jesus by the power of the Spirit. Very specific who this God is. And I want you to consider how offensive it is to talk to someone as if you know them when you really don't know them. Isn't it frustrating with you when people just kind of size you up and they think they know who you are and they begin conversations with you? And you're thinking, you have no clue who I am. Well, you're a woman, you must think this way. Well, you're a man, you must think this way. Well, you're a teacher, you must vote it this way. You're a pastor, you must believe these things. And they begin conversations and you're going, you don't know me. And this is extremely offensive. This happens to my kids all the time. And this is just a sermon illustration. So don't feel bad when you have done this with any of my kids. But they get mixed up all the time. And not just the ones that you would assume get mixed up. They all get mixed up. I knew that's what y'all were thinking. But it is extremely frustrating for all of them when someone walks up to one of my kids and says, well, how's married life? Well, that's not me. That's the other brother. How's things going at parties? That's not me. That's my sister. Oh, you just graduated. No, that's the other guy. We look similar, but that's not me. And Isaac is the worst. He hates getting mixed up with any of his siblings. And you just see all over him. Ah, that's not me. And he smiles. He's a very gracious, kind young man. But it, he, they take it personal. Why? This is me. I am me. I'm not them. And can you imagine when you are attributing things to God that are false and that are untrue and that are not like Him, desires He would even have for you that God would say, there's no way I would want that for you. And it's because you don't know Him. And why do you not know Him? Because you're not in the Word of God. And so our prayer life must be glutted with the Word of God so that we know Him. And we can only know him through the word. This is where he speaks. And that's why the next section, David begins to talk about the sufficiency of scripture. And so we pray the scripture so we would know God. And we pray the scripture because the scriptures are all sufficient for our life. In this section, 
David refers to the law. Now, we would think the first five books of the Bible, the Old Testament law that God gave his people at Mount Sinai and Deuteronomy, this is David's Bible. And as he's thinking about the law, he's thinking about divine instruction from God. God gave David the law as king, and Israel's kings were to adhere to the law. And as we read through the Psalms, David loved the law. We think about the law, and it's this harsh, hard thing that comes into our life. David loved it. Why? It was God's specific revelation to him as God's king. And he knew as he lived out the law, there was great blessing for him as a king and for God's people. Now, we have Genesis to Revelation as our Bible, and so all of the things spoken to here here still refer to the way we should think about our Bibles, even though we have a greater revelation than David had. But notice the description here, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. What this promise-keeping God has given to us as instruction is perfect. It's complete. And notice the work that it does on our life. It revives our soul. It converts our soul. It gives us life. God's instruction gives us life. We are in sin. We are dead in sin. The Word of God comes in and instructs us away from our heart, away from our desires, and gives us life. Notice as the text continues, the testimony or witness of the Lord is sure. The the, the witness of the Bible is complete and sure about who God is. If you want to know who God is, you get in the Word. David had the law. It revealed that God was holy and righteous and it was reliable and it made him wise. It it makes wise the simple. We don't have understanding. At times we are fools. We need the Word of God to make us wise. Verse 8, the precepts or orders, the way God has instructed things to be. They are right. They are good. They rejoice the heart. And notice as we work through, there is a declaration of what the Word of God is, law, testimony, precepts, and then the characteristic of the Word of God, and then it does work on our hearts, our minds, our soul. Here it gives us joy. The commandments of the Lord are pure. They are without stain, and so they enlighten the eyes. If you want to know how to see the world around you, you see through the lens of Scripture. And you see very, very clearly. You see the way God sees the world through the Scriptures. Notice verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Here, what the Word of God should invoke in our life is fear and reverence before God. And when we submit to Him and His Word, we are made clean. We are made pure. We are led in ways of righteousness that leads to eternal holiness, eternal wisdom. It endures forever. The sort of fear that the Word invokes is what saves our soul forever. Knowing there is a God, knowing He has spoken, and ultimately He has spoken in Christ, and we rever the Word. Notice the rules of the, of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. This, this simply is kind of a summary of what he has said. The law of the Lord, it is right. It is right. It is right. It is righteous altogether, and it makes us completely righteous. To be like God, ultimately to be like Christ, we need the Word of God. But notice how this 
This section causes David to respond in verses 10 and 11. He is meditating on the word, what the word is, what the word does. And notice his declaration in worship. More to be desired than they are, than they than gold, even much fine gold. As he's contemplating in his own mind the glory of the word of God, he stops and says, this is my greatest treasure. And David was very prosperous. And he comes back and says, even the finest gold that I could obtain for myself, the purest gold, the word of God is even more desirable. I would rather have the word of God than all of the riches I have acquired. Notice he says, it is sweeter also than honey and drippings from the comb, the sweetest honey that comes directly from the comb, the the local honey, no GMOs in it, just that, right out the comb. He says, that is the most pure, sweet honey, and that is what the word of God is to me. I would rather have it in my possession. I would rather have my heart and mind glutted on it, tasting it, living it, experiencing it. I need the word of God. And he says, moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. It is my greatest pleasure. It is my greatest joy to align my life with the word. And so what is he saying here? We could spend months in this section of scripture, but I want to just summarize what he's saying here. He is telling us, through this multifaceted look at the sufficiency of Scripture, that you need the Word more than you need anything else. What does that have to do with your prayer life? Because you're going before God because you need Him. And you have prayer requests. You have things that you're going to ask Him to do. And what David would tell us is before you ask Him for something, Remember, you have the one thing you need more than anything else, and it is the Word of God. He has already answered all of your prayers in giving you your greatest treasure, the Word of God. And why is that? Notice in the section, the Word of God does something to our souls. The Word of God does something to our hearts. The Word of God does something to our minds. The the Word of God harnesses our wills. The Word of God shapes who we are, and that's what we need more than any prayer that He might answer, is that God would shape me, that God would change me. And so you're suffering. You need money. You're going through trials. There's conflict. And in your heart, you want to cry out to God, and that's right, and that's good, and you should cry out to God. But one of the best things that you can do is cry out to him through scripture because through scripture you are being reminded he has already done everything he could possibly do for you in Christ, in the word of Christ. And the scripture reminds us of that by meeting our greatest needs, the deepest needs in our heart. And we know because of the gospel that we can suffer and have contentment in Christ. We can go through great tragedy. Paul would say that I've had so much and blessed with so much, I've also been about to die in a prison cell 
but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And this is what the word of God does in our hearts as we pray. It strengthens us. It reminds us that all that God has given us ultimately in Christ. And so I just want to call you to this practice as you are praying to actually open up your Bible and pray with your Bible about your greatest needs. And what God is going to say to you is you have the all-sufficient scripture and that's going to guide you through whatever circumstance that you're in. Open up your Bible. Memorize the Bible. Eric preached a sermon on Psalm 1 talking about memorizing the Bible. I would go back and listen to it, hiding the Word of God in our heart so that it shapes the way that we pray, so it shapes the things that we long for, and ultimately we realize that it is my soul, it is my heart that has a need for God, and the Word of God meets those needs. But notice as he continues, we pray the Scriptures because... We need the scriptures to know God. The scriptures are sufficient for all of our needs because it gets down in our heart. But we pray the scriptures because the word of God is acceptable before God. Notice verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Now, this is a question that David already knows the answer to. Who can discern his errors? I, I can't. I don't even know when I'm in sin, when I'm dishonoring God, there are things that I'm doing in my life I don't even know about. This is what David is contemplating here in light of the word of God. And so the answer to the question is only God can. And he has done so in his word. He's convicted of the sin. He has revealed who we are in our hearts. And so then he says, declare me innocent from my faults. What has the word of God done for David here? In contemplating the word of God, and how pure and holy the word of God is, he realizes he is unholy. And so and then in verse 13, notice the prayer begins here. In light of the purity, sufficiency, glory of the word of God, he says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sin. Keep me from sinning against you, God, in ways that I don't even know that I'm sinning against you. Keep me from praying prayers that would be unacceptable to you presumptuous sin how would he do that the word of God the word of God opens up our hearts and our minds and reveals our sin he says let them not have dominion over me let them not rule over me how does that happen I must be ruled by the word of God and he says then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression and we begin to see just glimmers of David's heart here and as he thinks about the holiness of God in creation, he thinks about the glory and righteousness of God in Scripture, he says, I want to be righteous. I want to be righteous before you. And he understands his own heart, that he is unrighteousness, unrighteous. And so his prayer is for righteousness. And so we begin to see here an example of how the Word of God shapes our prayer. And considering the glory and holiness of God, his one prayer request is that he would be holy. And then he says, verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Notice, this is the prayer request. And I would say to you today, this should be the prayer request for your prayers. Is that... The things that you think on. Notice he says, meditations of my heart. 
the things that you contemplate, the things that you mull over, the things in your life that you are consumed with, your thoughts about God, your thoughts about others, your thoughts about the world around you, that they would be acceptable to God. God, the way I'm thinking about this, may it be pleasing to you. I think what David would say here is that may it be in line with your character, the character you have revealed in your word. May it be right. May it be pleasing to you. Because we understand here that from our hearts flow the words out of our mouth. And so if my heart's not right, he would say the words out of my mouth aren't right. And so is there, there's a prayer request God, help me when I speak to you that my words would be acceptable. How's that going to happen? My heart would have to be acceptable. And notice he says, in your sight. I don't think David's just referring to words in general, although that's very important that our heart be right, that we would speak correctly, that we'd be merciful, that we'd love others, that we would testify to God's glory in an accurate way. I think he's talking more about worship and even prayer here. He stands before God, and before he utters a word, you are holy, and you are righteous, and you created the Son. You have given me your word, and in your word, you are holy, 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 and so before I speak to you, my heart must be right. Before I pray to you, my heart must be right. And so how do we make our hearts right before the Lord in prayer? How do you know without a shadow of a doubt that your heart is going to be right as you pray to the Lord? Well, David tells us, Psalm 119.11, I've stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. We store the word of God in our heart. So that when we pray to God, we accurately know Him. We store the Word of God in our hearts so that when we pray to Him, we know what to ask for. We we, we store the Word of God in our hearts so that we're not offensive talking to God as someone who has no clue who He is. We store the Word of God in our heart because the Word of God is sufficient to change our prayers and make them acceptable to God. We need the Word of God in our prayer life. And so I think David would call us here to meditate on Scripture before we pray. Notice the meditations of our hearts. I would go back to that Psalm 1 passage where he says he is meditating on the law day and night. And he is rooted in the goodness of God. And so now, by the way, the Psalms begin with a declaration about the Word of God, and then we sing to God throughout the rest of the Psalms. But I think David would say, you need to be meditating on the Word of God so that your prayer life is one that knows God and knows what to pray for. To meditate, we consider, we reflect, we think upon. Meditation isn't. It's a very dangerous idea about meditation that we're emptying our minds, that we're emptying ourselves of something, or that we're trying to know ourselves better, some sort of inner peace. Now, what we are doing with the Word of God in meditation is we are emptying ourselves, but we are filling ourselves with God and His Word. We are thinking, we are pondering. The word meditate 
it, it, it can actually mean, and at times meant, plucking the harp over and over. Just that music in the background that is plucking, that it's always there. The sounds are always there. And so we're making sure by reading the Word of God, memorizing the Word of God, glutting on the Word of God, that that sound is always there in our mind and our heart. The picture of a cow chewing the cud. You know what that means. Eats grass, then regurgitates grass, then eats it again over and over, I know it's gross, over and over and over again. It's gross, but it's glorious when it's the Word of God that you are consuming. You memorize the Scripture. You read the Scripture. It comes back up in your life, and you are, memorize, you, you are pressing it down again, and you are praising God with the Scripture, and it's this cycle over and over and over again where you're thinking, you're pondering, and you're reflecting on the Word of God. This must be a practice in your life. How does it work out in your prayers? talking to a friend this week who was in the midst of a really difficult conflict and he was praying through it and as he was praying about it he said I just kept getting frustrated and angry even the people that I was frustrated and angry about and so he said finally I had to open up to Psalm 16 and just pray through that psalm for my situation we meditate on the word of God and it becomes our prayers we memorize the word of God and it becomes our prayers and notice, as we begin to close, as David says, I want my prayers to be acceptable in your sight. I want my thoughts and words to be acceptable. Where does he end up with this? What are the thoughts and words that David feels free to now express in the presence of God to God? Notice how the psalm ends, O Lord, my rock and my this is where the word of God gets him. To this promise-keeping God. Revealed himself to Israel. I do what I say I will do. I am who I am. I do what I say I will do. What is, our, what is prayer? Asking God to do what he says he will do. And this is David's only hope is that God keeps his promises. My rock means helper, refuge. David probably envisioned times when he is in battle and he is hiding in caves. And here he says, my heart is sinful and I don't know what to say to you, but I need you to keep your promises and I need you to be my refuge, God, my refuge from my sin as I stand in your presence. I need you to be my redeemer my Savior, to deliver me from myself, my sinful thoughts, so that my prayers are accepted. And these are the acceptable words. David's contemplating after he's seen the Son, after he's seen the law, what can I say to you? What kind of prayer can I offer you? And he just reminds God, you keep your promises. And I need you to be my refuge. Whatever the situation is, I need you to be my rock, my hiding place. I need you to be my redeemer, the one who fights the battle for me and delivers me from my enemies. That's what I, I need you to do, God, what you have said you would do. And here, that is his prayer. God has said to David, he would be all of these things. And he's throwing that back up to God. Do what you said you would do for me. 
David has beautiful reflections on creation. He has beautiful reflections on the law of God. But here, the the consummation of his prayer life is that God is who he said he would be, who he's revealed himself to be in his word. And this is the acceptable prayer back to God. What you have said you would do and who you said you would be. And this is how our prayer should take shape. At one point, David is praying to God. And he says to him, as he is talking, God has promised to make a kingdom for David, a glorious eternal kingdom. And David, in his prayer life, turns around to God before he's king. And he says, because of your word, I have courage to ask for this. You promised to do this for me, and so I'm asking you to do this for me. And here, God has revealed himself as Lord, promise-keeping God, rock and redeemer. And so the word leads him to say, just, just be and do what you said you would, who you said you would be. David prays in the name of the Lord, rock and redeemer. And that's the same reason we pray in the name of Jesus. Because he is our Lord, rock, and redeemer. And it's why we need the Bible. Because we don't, there's things about God David didn't know at that moment. All of God's promises had not come into fruition. But the Bible shows us who he is talking about. And his name is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And this is why we need the Bible in prayer. Because we know that the acceptable word is the word made flesh. And so who do we offer to God? The word of God who is Christ, who has been revealed, Genesis to Revelation, every word is about him. It is from the word, Jesus, that we know God. How do we know God? Just generic book, the Bible? No, the book of the Bible points to Jesus. And Jesus would say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's how you know God. It's through the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. It's not the words of the Son spoken to us. It is the Word that created the Son. That's how we know God. That's why we need our Bibles to point us to Jesus. Jesus is the sufficient Word we need before God. It's not the law of God, but we need the Word of God that kept the law. This pure-hearted King Jesus who obeyed and fulfilled every single word in the law for us and when we believe in him God keeps his promises to us and Jesus becomes our refuge and Jesus becomes our redeemer and in Christ your prayers are accepted because in Christ you are accepted he is your refuge And he redeems your prayers, those clunky prayers that are confused and probably full of sin and tainted with rebellion, and you just pray the desire of your heart. You need those prayers to be accepted by God, and they will only be accepted in Jesus, believing in his cross in your place, trusting in his righteousness. He redeems those prayers, and the word draws all of our words to Jesus. That's the point of the Bible. Is the Bible is pulling us to the Word. The Bible is pushing us to the Word. At the center of the story is a cross where the Word is pierced for you and the Word is raised up to declare to you the Word who is Jesus Christ will never fail. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. Do you know that? 
It's not a magical incantation. Let me tack this on and God might do something good for me. No, I pray in Jesus' name to say, this prayer is only going to be accepted if it moves through Jesus to you. We pray in Jesus' name because we know all of our prayers are ultimately answered in Jesus. And so at the end, we pray in Jesus' name to say, God, I know you're going to fulfill all of your promises to Jesus. You're going to do everything you said in your word for Jesus. And so I want my prayers and my desires folded into your promises, whatever that looks like. How does that happen in your heart and your mind and your prayers? We pray the word. 